Welcome to the Small But Mighty Biz Stories Podcast, where we talk about the inspiration and motivation behind your small business. Here's your host, Karen Wilson. Hello, and welcome to the Small But Mighty Biz Stories Podcast. Joining me today is Tanya Parker-Wallace, a family law peacemaker who specializes in helping families that are in transition navigate the process through non-litigation methods. Tanya, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us about you and your business. Hi, Karen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Um, about me and my business, uh, well, I am uh, a lawyer and a mediator. I have been practicing law, um, pretty much exclusively family law, for about 17 years. And in 2016, January 2016, I opened my own practice, Parker Wallace Family Law. Uh, I'm a solo practitioner, which means I just work with me and myself and I. I don't have an assistant or anything yet, um, but I uh, have been working on my own now for just over five years. Nice. So what got you into uh, the family law space? What, what was uh, interesting about that for you? I have, I, I'm one of those kids that knew what they wanted to do with their life from an early age. And I don't really know why or where it came from. I just remember saying to my parents when I was nine, I want to be a lawyer someday. And I'm sure they were like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, but uh, I uh, I just, I stuck with it. And, <laughs> and in high school, um, I took, you know, one of those sort of like a law class that they offer in high school just to get a sense of, you know, what it would be like. And I enjoyed that. And then I ended up um, taking a co-op position at a law firm in my last year of high school. And I worked as a legal assistant just to, again, sort of throw myself into the atmosphere. And my boss at the time was a family law lawyer, but he also did civil and criminal and a whole bunch of different things. And um, I ended up working for him for about four years after high school, so all throughout undergrad, um, and got a big exposure to family law clients and, and that whole world, um, and really, really enjoyed it. So then I applied to law school, and here we are. Nice, nice. It's so interesting because I had a very similar child Hood dream of being a lawyer. And I did really? almost identical path. Yes. Um, I was taking classes. I actually had one class where one day a week, um, me and a couple of friends, we drove to the county courthouse in my hometown and we were there all day and we got to go and sit in on trials and we we had various, you know classwork to do and it was all law related and I did an uh, an internship at a law firm and and I worked there for a couple of years even went with the lawyer when he went to start his own practice um, and I was convinced that I was going to be a lawyer and then I went to school for music and became a marketer <laughs> oh wow so slightly That's different awesome. outcomes <laughs> 
Yeah. So what was, what were some of the things that uh, attracted you to the practice of law? I was, I wanted to just at its core, I think, um, work one-on-one with people um, and I wanted to help people. And, you know, when I was a student and an idealist, uh, I thought, oh, what better way to help people than to become a lawyer? Um, And I mean, I still partly feel that way, although I'm a bit jaded now after being in it for so long. Um, But I mean, having said that, I I do I do get the opportunity to um, work one on one with my clients, which I really enjoy. Um, There are other types of law that like, you know, real estate or business law that are very transactional, right? And very much money oriented. But family law, I enjoy because you're working with people, um, able to help them with a specific problem. um, And I I would like to think I I help them um, have uh, some finality to periods of their life that are very stressful. So that's what I really, really enjoy about it. Yeah. So one of the, um, you and I have, have had, uh, run-ins here and there in different groups. Uh, and you introduced yourself one time as a family law peacemaker. And I just love that because, um, you know, the act of, of separating and then divorcing is such a, it's a tumultuous time, you know, emotionally. And then there's all the legal entanglements that you have to deal with. And the idea of, of having someone you can go to who is a peacemaker, who can make that process easier is so comforting. Um, and, and so, and, and you actually use these non-litigation methods, and that's the focus of your practice. So what led you down that path? Because that's, um, I, I, is it very common in, in, uh, in, in family law to have that? Or is it pretty uncommon and, and unusual? I think that, um, there are people who are very well suited to be litigators for their entire careers and they're great at it. And it's just in their bones. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, I never really felt that way. I came to it. uh, I came to law or to, I guess, to litigating as a means to an end. I had always wanted to end up being a family mediator Um, but thought that, and I still feel that you need to have some experience under your belt in front of a courtroom um, and dealing with judges and um, engaging in cases to know what, you know, to know what the law, how the law is going to be interpreted for different fact scenarios, right? So I figured that I had Mm. to litigate for, you know, a good 10, 15 years before I would have any sort of weight behind me as a mediator. Because how could I say, well, your your next best option if you don't resolve this case is to go to court, if I wouldn't be able to then say, well, but when you go to court, here's what you're going to expect to have happen. So I had always thought of it as sort of a, a way to transition out of a, trend, uh, a traditional legal career. And then I was working with another lawyer 
and I was telling her, you know, she could tell that I didn't really like litigation. Like to in my bones, I didn't really enjoy it very much. Um, it's too adversarial. Yeah, yeah. It goes very much against my personality. Um, I've always been more settlement oriented. So even when I was litigating, I was always able to settle files, you know, way in advance and, you know, still uh, have good outcomes for my clients. So I just didn't see that it was helpful for a lot of my cases. And when I was speaking with this lawyer, she said, well, why don't you just do your training? And at that point, I had only really seven years under my belt. But she was like, there's no need to wait. Just go for it. And so I did. Um, it took me still a few years, but uh, I, I had a goal to get my training done. And so I, I did that. And then I became accredited as a mediator in 2018. And I haven't looked back. Oh, that is fabulous. I, I you know, I think that it's wonderful to have those people in our careers and, you know, whether you're a business owner or on a career path, it's wonderful to have those people who challenge our thinking and, and push us to do the things that we're really interested in and, and gifted with. Because it sounds like it's not just a, a personality thing. It's really a gift that you have to, to do this outside of the courtroom. Thank you. Yeah, I um, I agree um, because it's not really there's there's a, there's definitely a skill to it, and there's a lot of lawyers out there who don't think of that as the first option. Um, there's a lot of lawyers who think that the first option is well, let's go to mm -hmm. court and have a judge make a decision. Um, but the family court system, I uh, well in Ontario is very overloaded. It's very bogged down with many cases that I personally feel don't need to be there. Um, that's my personal opinion. Um, but when you're waiting yeah. a year and a half, two years for your case to go to trial, like there's, that's, that's sometimes far too long for people to wait to have some resolution and some finality in their family law matters. So that's why these out of court processes, no matter what they are, whether they're yeah. mediation. What are some of the rem sorry. Yeah. Oh, that's okay. Um, what are some of the ramifications of waiting that long to get the resolution? There are many. Um, if you're talking about issues with children, um, you know, you can bring a custody application, let's say, um, but if your children are, say, 15 years old, by the time your matter actually gets to a trial, they could have already sort of aged out of any custody um, matters. If you're talking about financial issues, um, mm -hmm. sometimes interest rates can swing things in huge directions, like we've seen with the, uh, with the current um, real estate market. Um, just people waiting four months to deal with their their issues with respect to yeah. their house can have huge implications on um, the amount of uh, monies that have to be transferred from one spouse to the other. Like there's, and that's just off the top of my head, but there's many, many reasons why sometimes these situations can't wait. Um, uh, the Not the least of which is uh, if there's any sort of domestic violence or those kinds of situations, those ones can't wait for months and months to be dealt mm -hmm. with. 
Yeah. And I imagine there are um, there are similar concerns when you have um, disputes around ill family members and, you know, whether or not there's a power of attorney in place and things like that. Yeah, those are um, more estate law issues, which I don't deal with personally. Um, but when those issues arise, um, there are people, other lawyers in my network that I call upon for their expertise in those areas. The thing about family law, which is very interesting, is that it it you kind of need a, a lot of knowledge in a whole bunch of different areas, estates tax, <laughs> a little bit of real estate, like there's just, a, there's a whole wide range. So every file yeah. is different and every file is unique and interesting for that reason. Yeah, I can imagine it's, um, you're touching on so many different things and it's, it's, it spans all of life. <laughs> what are your favorite cases to work on? Um, I think my favorite cases to work on are ones with kids, ones where there are kids involved. Um, I don't get as jazzed up about the financial aspects of it. Um, because to me, like that's money and it's going to work itself out. And, and there are actually very prescribed rules of what you're supposed to do with your money and your property. But when it comes to children's issues, um, those are the ones that I feel are the most meaningful for clients. Uh, and so that those are the ones that they get the most satisfaction um, out of working with me. And I find that those are the ones that lend themselves most to mediation and collaborative and those other processes, because the, the money stuff at the at the core of it, it's just math. But when you're talking about, you know, what your parenting plan is going to be like and try, trying to help two people who aren't getting along be able to communicate well enough to co-parent. I mean, that's what I think are, are the most meaningful files for me. That would be really gratifying because there you hear the stories about um, kids who come from families of divorce, and it's it you know some of them are kind of awful stories and just the the tension and conflict that they experience. But to have uh, parents who can stay together on the parenting side, even if they're not together in any other way, is is huge. Yeah, I had a client, uh, not a client, but um, a, sorry, a, a friend uh, who had said that she had been through, um, before I knew her, she had been through a really nasty uh, divorce and she spent $350,000 in legal fees. And her husband had spent multiples of that amount. Um, and, you know, her, her one regret is that they could have used all that money to spend on their children, you know, and it's, it's just shocking. Right. So staying out of court is one way to avoid really, really shocking that high is. numbers like that. Uh, it can definitely be a cheaper option. So um, just for yeah, the sake yeah. of the fees alone is is one reason why I I really enjoy what I do. That is incredible. The the kind of and I'm sure that it gets so much more expensive for some people. But uh, I mean that would bankrupt most people. They they couldn't afford it. Uh, what are some of the other advantages of going with non litigation methods? 
There are many. Um, obviously, we've talked about the financial uh, advantage, but it's also, um, it can be so much quicker. Um, I can have people in for mediation um, and start to finish in about two and a half, three months will be completely done. And they'll have a separation agreement that deals with parenting and property and support. Um, so child and spousal support. Uh, and they and then they can take that agreement away to their individual lawyers to get advice. And the whole thing can be wrapped up in a matter of months. And as, as we were talking about before, that's really, really meaningful for some people because they don't want to have this hanging over their heads for so long and being very uncertain as to what the future is going to look like. So it's a, it's a much quicker way to transition into living in two separate homes for a lot of people. Um, also, emotionally, it can be um, a lot less stressful and a lot less taxing to be outside of the court system. Um, the court system is set up to be very adversarial, right? You have um, you're, you have two people who used to care for each other saying the most awful things about each other in written affidavits and things, all in an effort to prove that their side is right and the other person is wrong. Um, and it's that's how it's set up. It's set up that way. And then a judge who doesn't know the parties doesn't know the children, if there are any, have to end up making a decision based on what they're reading on pieces of paper and what people are saying um, in the witness stand. But it's, it's, it's not, in, in my opinion, it's not the way that people should be dealing with each other, especially if they're going to need to co-parent after that. So it's, um, it can be very, very taxing on the parties to go through that. Um, whereas in a different type of setting, like a mediation, um, they don't feel, I don't intimidate people. <laughs> They're not afraid of what I have to say. Um, I'm not making the decisions. The decisions are in their hands, which I think is also the best part is that it gives people autonomy over their own situation. So they're signing an agreement and they know that they've, they've worked together to, yeah. to decide on what goes into it and what's going to work best for their family going forward, as opposed to having a stranger, um, just tell them what they need to do. That's great. Is there, um, what does the mediation process look like? How, what's, what's your role and how do you help facilitate that, um, alignment in the, in the way they, uh, resolve their issues and concerns? So the main, there's many different, um, I guess I'm, I'll go back and talk about mediation and there's many different theories of mediation. The one that I use is more interest-based. So if one person is taking a position saying, you know, I want to have the kids with me full-time and you're going to see them on the weekends, there's usually an interest. There's always an interest underlying that. Um, and sometimes there's a fear or a concern that underlies that position as well. So what mediation allows for is for me to ask questions in a curious way to say, okay, that's your position. What's underlying that for you? Why do you feel that way? Or is there a concern here that needs to be addressed? So maybe um, it's a mom who thinks that dad travels too much for work 
and isn't going to be there to help the kids with their homework. Or um, sometimes there's language issues. So one parent wants to educate their kids in French, but the other parent is Anglophone and they don't think that they're going to be able to help them in school. So it's just, it's a matter of getting to the core of what, um, what parents or, or parties' positions are, and then figuring out whether we can delink some, um, I guess, mistaken beliefs. In, uh, and then when that's done, there's magic, right? Because if, if someone's operating on an assumption that's incorrect, in mediation, there's the ability to talk it through and then they find out, oh, okay, maybe that's not, you know, what I thought was going to happen wasn't, isn't going to happen. And maybe I can think of this in a different light. And so that's, that's what we call insight. And once parties have insight about each other's positions, they're able to sometimes find common ground. And when it happens, like I've seen it happen and it's amazing. It's absolutely magical. It must feel so gratifying to to bring people together on the same page and and be able to get to the the bottom of what their concerns are and the real fears that are behind what they say. Yeah, exactly. Um so apart from medic uh sorry, apart from mediation, what are some other methods and and how do they work? So the, I guess the, the different methods are kind of on a spectrum. So on one end, you have litigation. So every know, everyone knows what that looks like. And then on the far opposite end, you have basically yeah. what we call cooperative negotiation, which is both parties have lawyers. Each lawyer is advocating for their client's interests, but you come to an agreement via you know, an exchange of correspondence, meetings, that sort of thing. In the middle of that, there's um, what we call collaborative family law. So that's an interesting process whereby each party still has their own lawyer and the lawyers are advocating for their client's interests. But the interesting piece about that is that every meeting that's held on the file is done uh, as a team. So there's a whole team approach to resolving the dispute. So the lawyers and the parties meet together. Um, every time there's a meeting, it's always four-way. Sometimes it can be, um, you can have other professionals come to the table to help because lawyers have a specific skill set, right? We know what the law is, how to interpret it, how to give advice to clients, but we're not skilled in um, dealing with, uh, say, personality conflicts. We're not skilled in um, knowing how to calculate um, actuarial stuff for complicated financial um, scenarios. We, so we have to call in experts for those things. And the collaborative process allows the experts to come to the table and be part of those meetings. So everything is getting done at a much faster rate than it would be uh, if you were to go to court. Um, the the caveat with collaborative is that if for whatever reason the process breaks down and one of the parties wants to instead go to court, the the parties and the lawyers have signed a contract at the beginning that says if that happens, you have to fire your lawyers and start fresh with litigation lawyers. So it gives the parties an incentive to get the deal done 
Yeah. <laughs> so, so that's a bit that's a bit uh, a bit challenging, but it, it gives people the right incentive to work with their lawyers and the other people as part of a team to get it done. So it has it has so many benefits. Um, then there's mediation, which is uh, a third party neutral like myself would help the clients sort of work through and discuss all of the issues that have to be dealt with on a separation. And then if that person is a lawyer as well, they can also draft a separation agreement for the parties to then take to individual lawyers and get reviewed before it's signed. Um, there's a hybrid process called um, mediation arbitration, which is where certain specialized mediators can put a, they can flip a switch. Uh, and if there's an issue in mediation that they're not making any headway on, it can switch to an arbitration process. And the arbitration process then becomes very much like a, sim a simulated court case where the parties then switch to giving evidence to the arbitrator. And then the arbitrator actually makes a decision and writes out a written ruling. So it's similar to court, but it's not in the court context. And then you have litigation. So. Those are the various sort of out of court methods. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if uh, are is it becoming more common for people to look for non litigation help when it comes to family law cases, or is it uh, still relatively uncommon? I think certainly in the last twenty years, there's been more of a an awareness that these other processes exist. Um, and I know particularly um, for collaborative and mediation processes, there's been a big push to get the word out about these processes because they work and because of the advantages that we talked about before. Um, a lot of people just think that it's natural that when you separate from your spouse, you have to have a judge make a decision, but we're trying to get the word out that that's really not the case. Um, it, you don't have to go through all of that. You can you can work with one of these professionals and get something done a lot quicker. People self-select into it too, right? Like I'm not going to say that no matter should be litigated. There are some that unfortunately have to be um, because of personality conflicts or yeah. just very high yeah. conflict people um, who are never going to be able to agree no matter what intervention they have. Um, but for everybody else, I think it's a, a really, really good option. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. The just the reduced stress factor in the the ease of, of deciding what's going to happen together, as opposed to letting some outside party do it, is huge. It would make such a big difference. Mm -hmm. Do you? What are some of the things that, do you see, um, I have a question in mind and it's sort of um, not coming out very well. Uh, do you see additional non-litigation measures sort of cropping up? Are there, are there, are there, is there potential for other ways to come about that people can resolve various family law issues or, or is, is this kind of, if they've got a good spectrum of, of, of options available already? 
I that's a good question. I think that um, I think the options that are already available probably cover the needs of people. I I certainly haven't heard of anything overly new. I know that um, there's always improvements being made to the various options that currently exist, like through automation and through, um, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to come up with lower cost alternatives for people because there's a big um, access to justice problem (laughs) in the legal system, if I can say that. Um, just with the with the cost of legal services being yeah. so high. Yeah. Um, and the reason why, and a lot of people don't understand, but the reason why legal services are so high is because it's so expensive for lawyers to become qualified and to become experts in what they do. And so, you know, that cost ends up having to be passed on in that way. And um, it's, it's, difficult, but it's, uh, so what, what people are trying to do now is to come up with lower cost alternatives for these services. So, you know, about legal aid, um, so people can have lower cost, uh, or free legal services if they need to go to court. So what people are trying to do is come up with lower cost alternatives to mediation, to the collaborative process, um, which I think is, is going to be very, very helpful down the road. Absolutely. And the the advantage of going to a lawyer over not going to a lawyer is is that depth of knowledge that you have from that expensive education and keeping up with the education because um you know, I having worked in law firms and see, I've seen the the books and 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 just keeping up with legislation that comes down and case law, all of that is it's an enormous undertaking. What are some of the what would you say to people who come who comment on the cost of lawyers uh, and 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 about what you have to do to stay up to date and and current on your your knowledge and expertise. I'm sorry. What are some of the things that I need to do? Is that what you're asking? Sure. What, what do you, what are some of the things that you do? What are the thing? what would you say to people about uh, the cost of hiring lawyers in general? Cause it's, uh, it's definitely one of those things that you hear a lot about. There's the, the, the jokes about lawyers, which are not very nice. And, uh, and yet it's a very essential uh, service and discipline in our society as we have it today. Yeah, um, there are, I mean, I guess the first thing that I would say is that um, the cost of hiring a lawyer is oftentimes much, much less than if you tried to do it yourself and, um, you know, weren't weren't up to date with what you needed to know. Let's just, if I'm, if I'm being nice, um, there is... I mean, we, there's the cost of the education itself. Um, there's the cost of insurance. There's just the costs of running an office, which 
all business owners, uh, most business owners have. Um, but then there's the um, requirements to keep uh, uh, like abreast of, of all the changes that are happening. So we're required to take mandatory training, which is not free um, every year uh, to stay qualified and to keep licensed. So, <laughs> I mean, I think that's really what where the biggest uh, costs are coming from. Um, you know, people say, well, if you charge, you know, X amount of dollars per hour, well, that's a lot of money. But if I keep $10 per hour of that money, I'm lucky, right? So I think that's a big misconception for not only lawyers, other professions as well. I deal with this too. But it's just a matter of, I think, people like to, um, you know, have a negative perception of lawyers. uh, And, you know, I work with so many amazing lawyers who are just out there to help. Uh, and who just want to work with people like I do and um, not, uh, you know, purposely structure their their offerings so that we're not, you know, paying for every piece of paper and um, billing people for every email. You know, it's there's lots of lawyers out there who operate differently. So. Yes, that is that's something that I've. I've had firsthand experience with uh, with one of my clients who is very uh, cognizant of of how their practice is operating, um, and they're doing some really interesting things. and 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 I find that there is this sort of movement amongst lawyers, and it's usually solo practitioners mm-hmm. because in the big firms. The the processes are so ingrained, but when you have a solo or a small practice, they are they have the agility um, and significantly less overhead. Uh, so they are able to do so much more for less for people, and and that makes a really big difference on your bill. But it also gives you really personal service. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. I, I haven't worked in, uh, in Ottawa as a lawyer, I haven't worked in uh, a large firm, quote unquote large, but um, I have worked in a few law firms. And you're right, the law firms are, they have a structure in place, they have systems. Um, but with that comes a huge overhead. Um, and so that in, in and of itself is driving up the, the cost of services. Whereas sole practitioners, like you said, can be much more agile and um, can can really pare things down and work with clients one on one. When you call me, you get me on the phone, <laughs> you know, and uh, and when we have meetings, it's it's with me and we're, you know, I'm able to work with you to um, to get the result that you're looking for. So it's it's very personal. Which again takes us right back to why I like family law in the first place is because I get to work with people um, on a, on really personal issues that matter. Yeah, that makes such a big difference just in how you view your work and look forward to your work. Because even even when you have a case that's tough, I'm sure it's it's a million times easier to to start your day and go into those meetings and because you know you're you're doing it in such a way that you're really trying to help them which is is uh very gratifying. Yeah. 
So, um, one of the one of the things that I've learned over the years, you know, uh, is that marketing legal services is uh, can be a, a weird, challenging thing uh, because a lot of the traditional marketing tactics are are not necessarily suitable, uh, either from an ethical or um, regulatory uh, perspective, or just because it doesn't make a lot of sense. It would be uh, uncouth to do. So, what is what is your approach? How do you how do you get your clients? I totally agree. Um, and it's something that I've sort of been butting up against with um, the more sort of marketing knowledge that I acquire as a business owner, uh, the more that I keep thinking, I can't really apply that to my own business. Um, there's there's a big push to sort of nurture clients along and, and I've heard about marketing funnels and things like that. But for family law, People don't, people don't follow, at least I don't think they do. They don't follow a, um, a lawyer in the hopes that one day they might need a divorce lawyer. <laughs> like you don't, you don't think about that until it happens to you. And then you, you yeah. do it on a reactionary basis. Like, oh, this really important thing has happened in my life. I need to see a lawyer. Whereas it's, it's not like following, you know, your favorite chef on YouTube um, and then buying some recipes from them or something. So it's uh, it's really challenging. Um, the way that I get clients is by word of mouth. So my past clients um, will you know sing praises. Um, other professionals that I work with, other lawyers, um, sometimes will call me if they can't take a file on for whatever reason. Um, other um, yeah, like I said, other people in the industry, like other, you know, real estate agents and um, people that I deal with on a regular basis, they will um, say my name if someone's in their circles looking for a lawyer. So it's more um, organic and it's more word of mouth based, um, I find in this industry. Yeah. And it's the most powerful way of marketing because getting a personal recommendation from somebody who's worked with you is certainly high praise, uh, especially in your work, because if someone comes away and they're happy with the outcome and they pass that word along to someone else, it, it's a much higher recommendation than an ad or a Facebook post. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, th- those have its place as well. Like, I, I'm not going to, I'm currently um, advertising on Facebook, <laughs> but uh, but certainly uh, word of mouth is best. Yeah. Yeah, you having that awareness of of what you do is certainly important. It's, uh, it's just, it's, it's how I, I can totally appreciate how tricky it is. Cause it's, I, I even see it with, uh, with my work because, because there are so many marketers out there and being able to, um, differentiate yourself from all the others because we do different things there we're not all operating and and giving the same deliverables to our clients um it, it gets a little bit tricky to to communicate that and and also make sure that 
you know, for me, it's important to to do it in a way that's not um, super salesy um, or one size fits all mm-hmm. sort of methodology. I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so it's it's a similar problem uh, that uh, happens really in any industry. Um, so, Tanya, tell everyone how they can reach you, connect with you, uh, and check out your website. Thank you. Um, my website is uh, www.pwfamilylaw.ca. Um, and my phone number is 613-225-6411. Fabulous. Well, I will make sure that your contact info gets into the show notes so that people can get in touch with you and uh, explore some of the the ways that you practice because it sounds like it's a much nicer experience in in tough situations than it would be to go to court. Well, thank you. I really, really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and uh, and uh, well, we we like you said we. We bump into each other in the business circles, so I I know that I'll be seeing you again again very soon. Absolutely, you will. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. Take care. Thanks for joining us on this episode of Small But Mighty Biz Stories. Want to hear more stories? Visit smallbutmightypod.com and be sure to tell us about your fave small biz so we can share their story too.